All right. Welcome to the first episode of Cockfights and Sports Ball. I am your host, Drake McCray. Alongside me is my good buddy and co-host for the day, Stefan Smetko. Say hi, Stefan. Hello, everybody. All right. So since we talk about sports ball on here, by that we specifically mean football because this is America and there is only one sports ball and then other things that go on once in a while. So we're going to get right into it and we are going to discuss... If you didn't hear, there was recently a very big game that went on, Stefan, mm-hmm. very recently. It was kind of important. Um, uh-uh. It was only, you know, watched by like 100 million people. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 54, mm-hmm. with the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. So, what did you think of the game? Was it a good Super Bowl? Did you enjoy it? What were the highlights? What did you think? Yeah, I was thinking about it, and... I haven't looked at too much about what other people are saying in relation to like other great Super Bowl games, but I thought it was pretty good, especially considering how Kansas City came back mm. sort of towards like the latter half of the game. I was saying before uh, the game itself that I thought it was going to be an interesting matchup because I thought San Francisco was the most balanced on, uh, you know, with offense, defense, but I think you can't underestimate um, the importance of a great quarterback like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, what I found fascinating about Patrick Mahomes going into the game is I said, okay, I I thought the 49ers would win, like you said. I thought they were well-balanced. I thought they had everything they needed. They had the coach. They had the defense. They had the run game. But Patrick Mahomes is the most anomalous quarterback I've ever seen. I've never seen an individual who can quite literally carry an entire team through a playoff run. And so if anyone could do it that I've ever seen, it was Mahomes, and that's kind of where it came up, you know? He's fantastic. He's beyond me, dude. <laughs> I've never seen a more talented quarterback in my life. Like, mind you, I've only been watching since the early 2000s because we're young, but, yeah. I mean, I've seen Peyton Manning in his prime, Tom Brady in his prime. I've seen guys like like Russell Wilson's incredible. Um, I mean, I watched Peyton Manning put up the best single statistical season of all time. And I'll still say I've never seen anything like Patrick Mahomes in these two years. He's the most talented quarterback I've ever watched. He reminds me of like Steph Curry in the way that when Steph Curry was first breaking out onto the scene, he was doing things that you never saw anybody do before. That's how I feel about Patrick Mahomes in the way that I don't see or I've never seen people make the types of throws and the types of plays that he does on the football field. It's unreal. unreal. And he... It wasn't the best Patrick Mahomes game I've ever no, seen. It, it was really bad, honestly. Like for three and a half yeah. quarters, he didn't. He looked like below average. Like Jimmy Garoppolo outplayed him for three and a half quarters, in my opinion. Not that he did anything special, but Jimmy wasn't making the same kind of mistakes that I was seeing out of Patrick Mahomes. Besides one throw that was pretty inerrant, yeah. um, but they both had those. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean. But those last nine minutes, I mean, that was that was pinnacle Mahomes. <laughs> like fantastic. when it when it counted, when a play needed to be made, he made every single one of them and he needed to make a lot of them. Um, so I guess the big question I wanted to ask is there's a lot of discussion about whether or not Patrick Mahomes actually deserved Super Bowl MVP. I wanted to know what you thought of him actually winning the award. Well, who else would have won it? <coughs> My question, who else who else was 
really playing that fantastically to the point that they would have won the Super Bowl MVP. So I think there, I think there was two other candidates. The first one was Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill had something like, I think, seven catches for 100 yards. Um, he was the guy present on that big third down play. He made, I think, the drive after that, he made like a 40-yard catch down the sideline, you know, mm-hmm. made some really clutch plays. That's true. Um, but I don't think Patrick Mahomes was the Super Bowl MVP. I think part of it was just he's the face of the franchise. He's the face of the NFL now. I mean, you want to give that guy the Super Bowl MVP, almost like it's branding, right? As mm-hmm. weird as that is. And I don't doubt that the that certain awards have a branding thing to them. They don't always go to like the guy who necessarily deserves it. Um, and I think that's present throughout the NFL pretty clearly. But Damian Williams, I mean, that guy on multiple third downs made incredible plays. He had two touchdowns. He had the breakaway 34-yard run. He got that big touchdown that put him ahead right before that. Um, And he was just making fools out of guys, which is pretty incredible because before the game, my buddy Kyle, I look over at him and I'm like, dude, if Damian Williams, I said he was terrible. I was like, if Damian Williams wins Super Bowl MVP, I officially know nothing about football. So uh, there was a lot on the line there for me. Um, and yet he proved me wrong, man. He had a crazy good game. He's been nothing but stellar in the playoffs. I think he should have won it. But I understand, like, Patrick Mahomes for me was a close second. I just think over the course of the game, Damian Williams was the best player in that football game. And I, I think I can see the logic there. Patrick Mahomes was good for half a quarter. Yeah. And you're right. And those, those awards definitely are very, like, political yeah. in certain <laughs> ways, especially when you have, like, a young like what 24 year old mm-hmm. MVP of the pre- previous season, um, you know, Super Bowl winner. You want to give that guy the, uh, the props of Super Bowl MVP and keep up that legacy. So, exactly. I, I get what you're saying. And if sure. you look over the course of the entire playoffs, like clearly he's the reason they won the Super Bowl. So if you take into account kind of everything they did up to that point, it makes sense. I just think that one game, he was not, the most valuable player for the Chiefs. I can see, I mean, like you said, he was he was not good for three quarters of the game. So, yeah. but I mean, he he made a count when it needed to count. Yeah, which leaves us with the question of if Patrick Mahomes won the game for the Chiefs, does that mean anybody lost the game for the 49ers? And if so, who's to blame? Who is at fault for the 49ers collapse? Because I don't think nobody's to blame when you're up by 10 points, have just gotten an interception, there's only 10 minutes left in the game. You have to have a breakdown there. Uh, I've seen multiple arguments about that. Uh, I've seen people mostly blaming Kyle Shanahan, I think, for his safety and his play calling. Mm -hmm. Um, That's been the main criticism. But uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, (coughs) really, I mean, he was on the field and he didn't get it done in positions where they could have won the game. Mm Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of a tough question. There's probably a, a bit of both. Yeah. Um, Jimmy G threw a horrible pick at one point. Uh, missed a big throw to Emmanuel Sanders oh. at the end. <laughs> yeah, Huge miss. Yeah, he miss, missed him. That would have been a touchdown easy. Mm. I So I think there are three guys. I think there's three individuals who hold the most blame in the loss. Because, I mean, some people just through individual performance are they have more responsibility. And so I'm going to rank them from like three to one from 
who's least at fault of the three to the most. And I think number three is Richard Sherman. Because if you look at Richard Sherman's stats, he got targeted seven times in that Super Bowl. You know what the stats were against him? What? Seven catches for a perfect passer rating, including a big one to Tyreek Hill and a big one to uh, Sammy Watkins on third down. I did not know that. He, they picked on him, and he got demolished, wow. especially in really, really big situations. When it counted the most, he got burned. And so as a defensive leader, as a veteran, um, I think he really let Niners down when it counted. Now, the thing is, going into the game, I told my friend, I was like, I thought he was going to have a bad game because I thought in terms of uh, athletic ability, it was just a bad matchup versus Tyreek Hill and Sammy Watkins. You know, Richard Sherman's not the fastest guy. He's not the most athletic guy. He's so good because of his intelligence. You know, he knows what plays being run. He can recognize a route and just get into the middle of it before he's even broken the route. But when you have an athletic matchup, like Sammy Watkins made a fool out of him, man. Like he made an absolute buffoon out of him on that one play. And that's because he just couldn't keep up with the guy. It was a total mismatch athletically. And uh, I think that's why they picked on him. It's because they knew that they had speed versus his intelligence and the speed won out. Uh, did Sherman have anything to say after the game about his performance at all? Um, he just said he didn't play good enough. So he didn't pick on himself, but he said, you know what, I wasn't good enough today. And I think he said it in a press conference and he said, just, I don't think he pointed the finger at himself, but I think he knew he made too many mistakes for his own good. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he didn't, it's not like he defended himself, but he certainly uh, didn't take a ton of responsibility, which I think he had a lot more responsibility to take than he, he stated. Um, Number two is definitely Jimmy Garoppolo. When it counted the most, he didn't show up, which, I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo was clutch, was clutch all year. He had the best passer rating in the fourth quarter of any quarterback in the league. So um, I think the moment was too big for him. I think it was too big. Um, he missed throws. He missed, in, like, inerrantly wide open George Kittle on multiple occasions. You'd think that would be your first look. Yet on multiple occasions for first down throws, didn't even touch him. Just hit his check down. Um, and I think that showed a lot of anxiety, a lot of um, not being focused. So I think definitely Jimmy G has a lot of responsibility in it. But also, he's never been in a moment that big. He's never been asked to do that much. Um, I think if he, if he was put in that situation again, he would see more success. Um, I don't think there's anybody even close in blame to Kyle Shanahan, though. Like, I, a lot of people... I'm actually seeing more defensive Kyle Shanahan than uh, than blame. I'm seeing people say, okay, he's playing against Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes balled out. Um, your quarterback missed throws. What are you going to do? He was averaging going into the second half seven yards a run. That's an absurdity. If you run the ball for seven yards every time, you're going to win the football game. When they were up by three, he, that entire drive, I think every play was a run. I'm pretty sure every play that touchdown drive was a run. But outside of that one drive, I think he ran the ball three times in the second half. He only ran the ball 10 times in the second half. The average drive of the last three drives was 51 seconds a drive. 
So they were, it was, it was three and out there. Nothing but three and outs. Every drive, two passes and a run. Gotcha. What are you doing, man? Shanahan made uh, adjustments that uh, were counter to their success throughout the game. Yes, absolutely. And I just, it is the exact reason he lost the Patriots Super Bowl. How do you not learn your lesson from that? You start throwing the ball in dumb situations. You get away from the run game to run down the clock. When you're up by 10, you have the football. There's 10 minutes left. Your goal, you should say, okay, there's two possessions. The way I win this game is not giving them the ball twice. So run down the clock. Run the football. I don't think there's anybody to blame but Kyle Shanahan. I think he absolutely lost that game. Now give credit to the Chiefs. They did win that game. You know, Patrick Mahomes did Patrick Mahomes things. Damian Williams balled out. But in terms of giving them the opportunity, giving them every opportunity which they banked on, that solely in my mind falls on Kyle Shanahan. So do you believe uh, the label of a choker is appropriate at this point in time? Absolutely. You're talking about a guy who is like greatly responsible for the biggest loss lead in Super Bowl history against the Patriots. And 10 points is actually tied for number two with three other Super Bowls. So um, that's like top two in choking in Super Bowl history. I don't think you can call a coach in that situation anything but you can't give him anything but the label of a choke artist until proven otherwise. Yeah, I think obviously he's a fantastic coach. You can't take away what he's done throughout this season, but... His track record so far is that the moment is too big for him when it comes to games like the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. especially when his team is up. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely incredible. It, it's unprecedented to me that how can you be how can you do this twice? How can you do this twice? You think you would learn the first time. OK, and you have a better run team than you did that year. What am I going to do? I'm up with 10 minutes left. If I take four minutes off the clock right now, how many run plays is that? Like uh, 40 seconds? I don't know. Six plays. You get six plays on that drive, kick a field goal. You're up by 13. You're set, man. That's all you had to do. One of those three drives. I mean, it's unprecedented. It was a total choke. How do you label that? Is that that's not conservatism. No. Because he, it's almost as if Shanahan was doubling down on some, some adjustment that didn't need to be made. Yeah. It was the I opposite of conservatism when you're up. I totally agree. I totally think he saw something at halftime that they thought they could pick on. And as a result of that, they got away from what was working. Um, and perhaps that's Shanahan getting a little too smart for his own good, you know? Because um, he's brilliant. That's the thing. But when you're that brilliant, I can totally see how you might outthink yourself. He should have he should have tried to let them beat him. I think he was still trying to beat the Chiefs rather than say, make the Chiefs beat him now that he has the lead. And that was um I, there's a time for conservatism. And when you're a defensive team that runs the football with the lead and the football in the fourth quarter, something about that screams to me. Maybe we should be a little conservative here. And um, I guess that didn't click. Um, I don't think the urgency to end the game was in his blood in the moment. I so, gotcha. Yeah. 
So that's a pretty good thorough discussion on the Super Bowl. Overall, a great game. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and I'm really happy the Chiefs won, both as a Seahawks fan and just as a football fan. Really good to see Mahomes step up. I think he's just a great guy. Love seeing him play. Real quick, did you see during the um did you see during the parade the guy throw a beer at him? No, but I saw somebody was driving down the middle of the parade and the police had to uh, step in and his guns <laughs> drawn and it was pretty wild. That the most lit parade ever before they even got there. No, there's one crazy video. If you're listening to this podcast, look it up. You need to watch it. Patrick Mahomes is on a float, right? Like a like 15 foot float, like one of those big buses. Somebody all the way from the crowd hucks a beer at him and he looks over. One hand grabs it, opens it, chugs it, and spikes it down. It's the coolest, <laughs> the coolest beer chug I've ever seen in my That's life. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, legendary. It was <laughs> just the way he caught it one-handed. It's like, yeah, this man was meant to win the Super Bowl just for that one beer chug. And I think he's going to continue to win more Super Bowls as time goes on. I wouldn't be surprised. If anybody's ever going to break Brady's record, you might as well be the guy who does, like gets his first one at the age of 24. 24. And there's a lot of time. He's, he's an MVP. He's a Super Bowl MVP. He's a Super Bowl champion. He has a lot of time. You know, we could be seeing him go for the next 10 to 15 years. Can you imagine 15 more years of Mahomes? <laughs> Well, if he can keep his body healthy like Brady has, I mean, yeah, I think we'll see. He's, it's going to be fun to watch. He's obviously he's a so different. He's a different type of quarterback in the way yeah. that he's a bit more yeah. mobile than a Tom Brady. But um, he certainly, if he needed to scale back on the mobility, he could be a pocket passer uh, based off of how great he's just so he good. is passing the ball. He can he can mold his game to whatever it needs to be, and that's so impressive. And that's and that's the one thing I think you worry about uh, when you're talking about a player like a Lamar Jackson, who mm. uh, is so dependent on his mobility for uh, yeah. his game and his success. And when you see him and his his uh, running lanes are blocked, you see a bit more, uh, I guess, indecision, and you see a bit more. I'm not sure. He's just, not Mahomes. Yeah, That's he's, the thing. he's just not. He's not as accurate. Yeah, exactly. I think getting getting a little off subject here, but with Lamar, um, Mahomes already has a Super Bowl, and I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind he's going to be around at least another decade, um, if not more. He could very easily win another Super Bowl just on his own talent. I don't think anybody believes one Lamar can single handedly carry a team to a Super Bowl. Mahomes could. I. Also don't think, I mean, I, I do think, I think it is a question of whether or not Lamar's skill set sticks around long enough because it's a young man's skill set. You don't get older and get faster. You don't get more agile. Is his skill set good enough that he can get to a Super Bowl before he wears down? And that's a real question. The team around him is good enough. The Ravens could, but it very well could be that by the time he has a team around him that can get to the Super Bowl or he's got the experience to get there that he's just not skilled and fast enough anymore. Um, there's no doubt about that with Mahomes. He could lose all his mobility and he's so intelligent, such a good passer that he could go on another five or six years without his legs and win a Super Bowl. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. We're going to move on here. Um, this upcoming weekend, we do have the kickoff of the rebranded, brand new XFL League. So... 
The thing about the XFL is that it is very different from the way it used to be. It's not a gimmick anymore like it was the first time it launched. Um, there's new rules um, compared to the NFL, some interesting ones. Um, but overall, they've definitely tried to keep the spirit of NFL football and carry it into the spring. Um, so over the last few years, we have seen a couple of new leagues pop up and fail. Most uh, especially the Alliance of American Football, the AAF, that popped up last year and disappeared as quickly as it came around. Um, do you think the XFL can be different than the AAF? And do you think that it can, uh, can survive its first season, its second season, and go on to become a successful spring league? Well, I mean, <clears throat> I certainly hope so, considering we have a team here uh, in Seattle that would be excellent. I think you know, they're going to have to do certain things to keep people interested in a league like the XFL, uh, like perhaps rule changes, you know, things that uh, make the game interesting in a way that it couldn't be in the NFL. Um, yeah. I agree, I agree. I think it has a good chance to stick around at least for a while. And there's two reasons. Um, the first reason would be that I think they picked the right markets and brand. So rather than the AAF, which had obscure teams, it had obscure cities and a bunch of random people in it, what they've done is they've taken former NFL players um, and like very special college players who didn't make it. They've put themselves into already established football cities. I think there's only one city who doesn't already have an NFL team and that's St. Louis, who is, it's an NFL city. They want a team, great market. And, um, they took a year to market their brand, to um, set everything up, to make sure it was very legitimate. Um, and the other part of it that I think will make it successful is fan service, right? I went in, I'm a season ticket holder. I got two excellent seats, a full season, five games for like 200 bucks. Like it was an excellent price. Um, and the experience of being, I think it's really good for those hardcore fans who have never been able to experience what it's like to be a part of a football organization. Like I feel like a Seahawks fan, but I only go to games so often. It's not like I go to every game. It's not like I, I feel like those, that guy that dresses like the Hulk every weekend in the <laughs> Hawks nest. I don't get to be that guy. And I don't know if I ever will, but I can go be a sea dragons fan and go like root for and feel like a part of a football team. And that's really good for hardcore fans. And I think there's just a craving for more football. You know, that that period between the end of the Super Bowl and then you have to wait all the way until August for preseason. I think there's definitely a gap there where people are willing to buy into some more football. And so I think the fact they aren't competing with the NFL, but they're being something entirely different um, and even kind of being a feeder league where people can go in and earn a spot possibly on an NFL roster. I think they have it really well set up and I'm really looking forward to it. And I mean, I, I wasn't bought into the AF at all. I mean, I was like, okay, like this popped up, this is going to fail in a second because I don't care. And I'm really excited. Like I'm all set up to go watch the sea dragons on uh, Saturday. I'm going to sit down and watch them on TV. I'm hyped to go to games. So I think it's well set up. I think they've really, made it very professional and it's not a gimmick, which is going to bode well. Yeah, I, um, I think it has a lot of potential. I think especially if they can set it up 
sort of like uh, an NBA G League where you have players who mm-hmm. may be aspiring mm-hmm. to get into the NFL, being able to showcase their talents, uh, whether they be uh, older players who uh, kind of missed their chance in the NFL when they were there or undrafted college players who weren't picked up by a team. Uh, I mean, it'd be really cool if you saw uh, college players, once they graduate, once they leave school, going into the XFL, um, trying to prove themselves in that venue. I think that'd be great. And if it can get enough traction, you know, uh, they can work out some of the, their uh, financial issues as far as, like, paying players. Totally, totally. Um, That will only get better. Yeah. And I think in terms of paying players... Um, there, there's a concern that they're not playing and paying players enough for the incentive. But I think what makes it brilliant is that since it's in the offseason, the scouting period for teams, players are going to be incentivized to play in it, even if they're not, not making a ton of money, because they want that opportunity. They believe in themselves. They want to get scouted. And it's honestly probably one of the last ways, having a spring league, that a lot of these players can show off and get on an NFL roster. So... By branding themselves also as a scoutable league, I think they create an opportunity to bring in a lot of talent that will make the games fun and good to watch. You know, it only is going to take like that one superstar, the Patrick Mahomes of the XFL, to really get somebody invested in a team because people are going to watch this guy and they're going to get invested in his story because it's bigger than the XFL. It's will this guy make it to the NFL? Look at him ball out. Um, And that's what makes certain college players so attractive is you want to be a part of the beginning of their story. And so if the XFL gets that guy who represents their Trevor Lawrence, their Patrick Mahomes, the guys whose story you want to get invested in, um, it's going to create, it's just going to make the brand bigger. It's going to create um, characters that people want to watch and they have the right setup for that, which I think is just brilliant. Well, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, again, referencing the G League, we're now at a point in time in the NBA, for example, where you see a lot of players who have come out of the G League and have been really, really successful, whether they come out and they, you know, they put in the I don't watch work. the G League much. Is there, like, a name on there that I probably know who came out of the G League? Like, somebody uh, in the NBA? Spencer Dinwiddie, for example. No way. Yeah. And he's he, a G he's, League guy? He, he's been in the G League before he, you know, he kind of went in and mm-hmm. out. Um but yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of examples, not a whole lot off the top of my head, but a lot of guys who have come in and have been serviceable players, either rotationally or otherwise, um, who've just been fantastic in the NBA. And if uh, the XFL can get those types of players, I think that'll be good for the NFL. That'll be good for the XFL. Yeah. And I think if the XFL is successful in bringing people in, at some point, the NFL buys in. You know, they say, okay, we're going to invest in this league. We're going to put our time and effort into making it bigger. And once you get the backing of the NFL, you're set. Like, you have one of the biggest financial empires outside of Disney on your side. So it's like, once you get their approval for your league, you're set. You're going to be around a long time. And I think that they're set up for that. Um, There's a couple of new rules that they're going to try out that I'm not sure you're aware of, which I mean... Having you hear them for the first time and give an opinion, I think, is going to be really interesting. So one of the biggest rule changes is that um, extra points aren't the same, right? So there are no kickoffs for extra points. What happens is you can either take an opportunity from the one-yard line, the five-yard line, or the ten-yard line. If you can get in from the two-yard line, you get one point. The five-yard line is two points, and the ten-yard line is three points. So... 
I want to know what your thoughts are on that, whether you think that's going to be good for the league, whether you think that maybe that's a bit much potentially getting nine points on one score um, and how you how you as a fan potentially would be um, interested in seeing that play out. Oh, I would totally be interested in seeing that play out because then that introduces scenarios that could never happen in an NFL game, for example. Uh, you can even up a score in a position that you never would be able to in the NFL unless you were able to stop them on defense and go back and score again. I think, I mean, it just adds a new layer of excitement and intrigue to see exactly what kind of things would happen uh, with that type of scenario. I think it's a great idea. I I think the kind of situations I'm most looking forward to, not necessarily like a team is down by like nine points and they go for the tie, but like what if a team is down by eight points and their offense is so good and you have to sit there and ask, well, we're getting 10 yards of play. Like, do we go for the win? Do we go for three right now and just put it to bed? Do we, because we can't go for one. We're already going for five yards. So let's go for the win. Like that would be crazy. And it's also situations that someone will be in where, you get to criticize a coach because maybe he's on the two yard line and you ask, okay, do I kick a field goal and make it nine points? Or do I just go for the win right now? Because a field goal is not like I'm up by six and the field goal is not going to get me the two possession game. So I think it, it's going to force coaches to make really interesting decisions to determine the outcome of games. It's going to make the last five, six minutes of a game really a lot more intense and interesting, I think, than just in the NFL. We're, and I think it's going to be fun for like the first year or two because they're going to be figuring it out. You've never seen these situations before. Everybody's been in every position possible in the NFL. You know the rules. You know what you're going to do in certain situations. The XFL, people are going to be making some weird decisions to be criticized, and I'm really oh, looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah, and this is gonna, I mean, there's a lot more room for debate about those, mm-hmm. those uh, decisions and whether they're good, whether they're not good, whether they're beneficial. Um, but I do have one question. So do we know um, who exactly the stars are going to be in this league yet? Um, so there's a few amount here. I have a small list. Um, there's a couple of names some people will know, um, but they're, they're mostly like former college guys who are getting a second chance, and some of them I'm not very familiar with. A couple of the ones that are more familiar with people are... Um, some of the quarterbacks. So there's Landry Jones, um, who was a popular quarterback in college. I think he was drafted in like the third round of the NFL. There's Cardale Jones, Matt McGloin, and Josh Johnson. So I'm not terribly familiar with any of those guys. (laughs) Me either. Um, But a couple of the guys I'm familiar with, um, Lance Dunbar. Um, I can't remember who he was a running back for, but he was a pretty popular, pretty good running back. Um, And a couple of former Seahawks like um, Christine Michael. I don't know if you remember him at all. I think so. Um, uh, Keenan Reynolds, who was just like a really stud wide receiver coming out of college. He was a top prospect, busted out of the NFL. Should be interesting to see him try to get a spot. And he's on Seattle, which I'm psyched about. But the one I'm most excited about personally is um, Kaysen Williams, who, um, former Husky, former Seahawk on the Seattle Dragons. So totally home, hometown guy. And he's well known because he had a preseason where he balled out. I mean, like he was getting 100 yards a game for the Seahawks, but they ended up cutting him because he couldn't run anything besides a go route. So, so he's, a, he's a wide receiver? Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So there's a couple of guys, but 
the XFL has vocally stated that they're, they haven't brought in like really big names. Like they, like Johnny Manziel was a name being thrown around, stuff like that. And it's because they want to start off by legitimizing themselves. So rather than take these big names that could bust out and kind of hurt the brand, they say, okay, let's bring guys in that want to play football. Their names aren't as important as how badly they want to play and then have those guys create their own names. And that's really smart because if somebody is a bust, it doesn't hurt your brand. Nobody knows who he is, but it just takes, like I said, that one breakout guy and everybody knows his name and associates it with your brand. There's no pre-association. So I think it's a smart move to just get guys who want to play. Um, but that's why we don't really recognize a lot of the names. I think that that also adds a, a level of intrigue to see what guys are going to be the face of the league because mm-hmm. they're pretty much making their names for themselves. Uh, we'll see who's going to be the face of the league by the mm-hmm. end of the first season. I mean, it'll, it's really interesting. There's so many unknowns, and I just like the foundation. They have a lot. Um, there's one more rule I want to go over real quick before we move on. Um, this is interesting. So there will be replay in the XFL, but um, the standard for review is a play that has significant competitive impact in the outcome of the game. So for a play to be reviewed, it's determined by officials or you know people up top whether or not it'll be reviewed. Um, coaches can't challenge but they can call a timeout. And if a play is reviewed and reversed during a timeout, they get the timeout back. So it's like, you can risk using your timeout for it, but if they don't want to review it, they're not going to review it, but you can give them more time to decide. Why I think that's interesting is because there's so much controversy over reviewing the NFL. It slows down the game too much. It, um, like it makes it, feel less legitimate because there's like everything's very nitpicky down to the inch there's no room for error if somebody does make an error it's just becomes very becomes such a huge deal right this kind of brings in like a human element um is it significant enough for us to review no well there may be an error on it but human errors happen let's get to football I kind of like that idea, and I think it's something the NFL if it's successful might look at it's a very college based way to do it where okay, it's not like there might be an error, but we're trying to get the game going and things happen. And it kind of puts a little less pressure on the, um, the refs so that they can focus play after play. If they make a mistake, they can move on rather than have mistakes kind of stack up on the ref side of things. Well, totally. I can see, I can see putting um, more emphasis on uh, important plays or game-changing plays and uh, that being the basis for which you review. I think that's a good idea. And then yeah, you can, but you can then there, there will be a mistake at some point and people are just going to have the referee's heads. Why didn't you review that, man? And it's mm-hmm. going to be like, well, it wasn't significant enough. And that's going to become subjective anyway because fans suck. Yeah, so, yeah for sure. <laughs> there's going to be those people anyway. But I, I enjoy the idea of kind of bringing football more to a place where human error is allowed to happen again and we're more focused on the pace of the game. And that's something the XFL has like come out and said is they want to make the game a little faster, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I can respect that. It does feel sometimes like NFL games drag whenever there's a lot of penalties and reviews and all this BS that comes along with the NFL sometimes. For sure. So, I gotcha. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, so we're going to get into um, a bunch of quarterbacks here. That's kind of how we're going to wrap things up is we're going to go over 
the quarterback carousel because this is one of the more interesting things, one of the more interesting free agency periods I've ever seen in terms of quarterbacks. I mean, huge names on free agency. But before we get into free agency, we're going to start off with somebody who's not going to be a free agent, um, but might want to be. And that's Dak Prescott, because reports are that the Cowboys are finally um, making a decision and going to put the franchise tag on Dak Prescott. And I don't think there's anybody in the NFL who likes the franchise tag besides a kicker. (laughs) Um, And there's people saying, should Dak Prescott, like Le'Veon Bell, hold out for a new contract, um, whether or not um, he should play on a one-year franchise tag or not. Because what it looks like is pretty much he's going to get paid $27 million. That's big money, totally guaranteed. But there's no bonuses and there's no security for his future. So he could, you know, have a really bad year and have his stock go down, where his stock right now isn't like, he's probably a $30 million a year quarterback. So if he doesn't get that long-term contract before the season, should he sit out? Um, it's an, it, I've struggled with it a bit because at first I was like, no, you don't sit out. Like you go play football, you go earn your contract. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, man, he might have be risking more than he can gain in that situation by actually playing. I can totally see that for sure. And I'm sure he feels very disrespected by the Cowboys uh, for not offering him the money when I believe... Dak Prescott, for the most part, has shown that he's a pretty capable quarterback. I think he's a stud. I think he's incredible. Considering that, um, also, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys have pretty much been paying everybody they possibly can, Mm -hmm. retaining players on their team. I'm sure he feels very disrespectful. And also, I got a question. What's their alternative exactly? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, that's... The thing about the NFL is it's so hard to find a franchise quarterback that when you find somebody of the caliber of Dak Prescott, like, in my opinion, it's almost an open checkbook. Like, you you have to pay the guy yeah. because you're talking about a guy who can, at the minimum, cement that position with somebody decent enough for a decade. That's hard enough to find. Yeah. Not to mention Prescott's actually, in my opinion, like a very good quarterback. Like he can make things happen and win games when he needs to. Um, he's not a top tier guy. I'd put him more in the in the tier of Jimmy Garoppolo where, yes, he can get it done in most situations where not all the time. I, I wouldn't want him over guys like Russell Wilson in the fourth quarter or like even um, Deshaun Watson, you know, Um I'd put him just below the Deshaun Watson tier. But what I, I don't understand, one, why they're not paying him, and two, why you would disrespect him with the franchise tag. Like, say, tell him, okay, even if you hit free agency, we're going to pay you. Like, just stick around. Don't sign with anybody, and we'll match an offer or something. Um, you already put yourself in a bad bargaining hole by giving him the franchise tag. I understand wanting to secure him down for one more year, but... It's disrespectful. I think the franchise tag is a terribly disrespectful thing. It's holding someone hostage, man. I've never understood it. I've never understood it. It's it's a it's a good question. Why I uh, like the NFL players unions allow this to right. be a function? Because I I also find it to be kind of a questionable practice to be able to force somebody um, 
back on your team once they have like, run out of their contract. Is that? You're just saying, you're saying, oh no, we really do want you on this team. We just don't want to pay you that much and we don't know if we want you for that long. It and is. so you're going to allow that to happen to the biggest name stars in the game because that's the only people you use the franchise tag yeah. on. It's specifically to uh, <coughs> save NFL franchises from losing their best players. Yeah. But uh, I think you have a very valid point about uh, the merits of Dak Prescott sitting out because let's say he has a bad season, like you said, or worse, he gets injured. He has no job security after that franchise tag. You're talking about, okay, if I play, here's kind of the risk reward, right? Is if he plays, what's the upside? Well, you have an MVP caliber year, which I think he's at least capable of having a really great year and earning even more money. Going from that 30 million to the 35 million mark and getting like, Uh, another year or two on the contract like making some big bucks but if you're already labeled as a 30 million dollar quarterback 30 million over five years that's 150 million dollars and you're going to risk that for 27 or you sit out a year and even if you only get 25 what if you get 25 million over four years that's a hundred million dollars that you could miss out on if you get hurt or lose stock And so the more I think about it, the more I say, first of all, I think the Cowboys might actually get a deal done before training camp. I do think they want him, obviously. That's why they tagged him. And they still can get a deal done. But if they don't, if they make it to training camp, if I'm Dak Prescott, I don't know if I'd show up. I think I might try, like, might hope to maintain the value of the $30 million. And if they're not going to pay me $30 million, and heck, I'd raise the price on them. I'd say, all right, if you don't value me at 30 million, when I make it to the end of this year and you suck, once you have a terrible year with somebody else who's random, I want 35, you know? You have a bargaining chip there as a quarterback that someone like Le'Veon Bell never had. So I think this is the first time I've ever seen since Kirk Cousins who had more to earn by playing out his franchise tag. I've never seen a guy who's this valuable get franchise tag. Yeah. 100%. It's an interesting situation. I'm curious to see how it plays out. Um, And I, at this point, my answer to the question, should he hold out for a new contract? I'm surprised, but after enough consideration, I'm like, yeah, I think he should. I really I, I could totally agree with that because I think also by them franchising, franchise tagging him and not giving him like a four year, five year contract, they're showing him that they maybe don't trust him to be that franchise guy going into the future. And yeah, that it's, yeah. it's almost like a prove-it deal here. Yeah, and it, I think it mostly has to do with um, Mike McCarthy, right? Like, you bring in a new coach, you bring in a new, almost an entirely new staff, and you don't know if that coach is going to like a guy who you say, okay, we're going to sign him for five years. This is your guy for five years. Well, what if your head coach is like, I don't like this guy I don't get along with him and you now have the bargaining chip to trade him for somebody else for maybe a prospect. Who knows? Um, I kind of understand it from that point of view, but I'd rather just look at Mike McCarthy and say, this guy's a franchise quarterback, make it work. You're the head coach, you know, and Dak Prescott's like a very coachable guy. Like he's really well known for being very coachable and being a team player. Like, I don't think he's going to give Mike McCarthy a hard time, you know? If, if you can survive Jason Garrett for the first three years of your career with him being totally mediocre and not saying a word to the public, I don't think you're going to give Mike McCarthy a problem, you know? So 
I think they're being fools. I think Jerry Jones is being an idiot. <laughs> I can understand why they're trying to, I guess, sort of find out what exactly is the problem with their team, considering their aspirations last year and how horribly they played for the mm-hmm. most part. Uh, for me personally, I don't feel as though I watched the Cowboys enough to really say what exactly their main issue was. But from mm-hmm. the games I have watched, it doesn't seem like it's Dak Prescott. Yeah, I mean, if I'm watching a guy throw for 5,000 yards and I think he had 30 TDs at that point, and if Jason Garrett's your, like, your head coach when that's going on, like I might pay uh, less than, t- like he's a, even a tier under in terms of people are calling his value, like a tier under guys like Russell Wilson. I would pay him the Russell Wilson $35 million a year just to have the franchise quarterback who can throw 5K yards. That's not a tough sell for me. Unless, of course, segueing into our next subject, quarterback carousel, people going to free agency, earning contracts. You may throw for 5,000 yards and 30 TDs, but if you're throwing 30 picks on top of that, well, there might be a discussion. And that's Jameis Winston. We'll start off with Jameis Winston here, talking about quarterbacks hitting free agency and where they might end up. Um, The question is, is Jameis Winston, like how much is he worth? Should they pay him what he's worth after having a season where, yes, he threw for 5,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, but he threw 30 interceptions. I mean, a 30 for 30. Unreal. And when I watch Jameis Winston, it's like, dude, those picks... They aren't like, they aren't, you know, rookie mistakes. Like he's in his like, what, fifth year? Like they look like rookie mistakes, but they shouldn't be. I'm talking about a guy who looks like he's legitimately playing on all Madden difficulty and just slinging the ball around in Madden. The dumbest picks you've ever seen in your life. Line drives to linebackers. I don't know how it's possible sometimes. And this guy has come out and said he wants $30 million. Well, I guess you got to ask once again, like, what's your alternative? But this is a different situation than mm-hmm. Dak Prescott because Jameis Winston is going 30 for 30 on a, on a season. I watched his uh, highlights, you could say, of him throwing interceptions. <clears throat> it's horrible. It's bad. They're, they're really, really bad. And I think uh, is a Bruce, Bruce Arians, the coach, yeah. I, I don't think he wants to keep him. I don't think... I don't think Bruce Arians likes Jameis. I really don't either. I saw like his postseason press conference, and he's straight up like, yeah, we can get anyone in here. It's not a big deal. Like He slammed Jameis, dude. And Jameis came out, and he slammed back. He's like, you just got to look at my numbers. If I didn't throw the picks, I'd be bowling. And then you sit there, and you're like, well, you did. Yes. <laughs> I see you 30 interceptions. You would be bowling, and you guys might have, you know, let's say he, <coughs> he threw like a third of his interceptions. Maybe they would have been a Super Bowl team or something. But I think there is an argument to be made with the type of receiver talent they have on that team, like the, the Mike L. Evans, the... Uh, Godwins, the OJ Howard. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of quarterbacks who could probably come in and be somewhat successful. Yeah. And I don't, I know Bruce Arians has just a slinging offense, a hard offense to understand. Like even Carson Palmer, who's like a touted veteran whenever Bruce Arians came into the Cardinals, he was like, this is, this is confusing. This is a weird offense. So it might not be beneficial to bring in a guy who doesn't know the system. Is, but is Jameis worth the risk, right? And um, with the money he's asking for, I have to say he's not worth that. He's not worth $30 million. He might be worth, I might buy in on a $20 million two-year contract 
you know, see if he plays it out, give him one of those seasons guaranteed. But if he's really so sure he's going to get that much money, I would let him walk and be like, go, go see if anyone pays you $20 million. I exactly. Um, I, I mean, I think, I think they should offer him a contract. I do. And give him another season at the opportunity, but it should be like a, a risk versus reward contract. Like yeah, if you sure. don't play out a good year, we're cutting you. You got to prove it. Yeah. And you draft a guy to put behind him. You say, okay, like here's some pressure on you. Like you don't get him in the first, second round, but maybe you like, you know, Justin Herbert slips because people aren't really touting him. Somebody like Justin Herbert slipped to like the third round. You say, you got to beat him out for your job, you know, or go sign a guy like, as hilarious as it be, like get Marcus Mariota, <laughs> get throw him in behind you and say you got to earn your job. We well, you can see what happens. Put him in a different system, in a Bruce Arian system. Yeah. Whether it's hard or not, clearly he, um, what he's orchestrated there, puts up numbers. Yeah. If nothing else, if you have somebody who can uh, lessen the blow of turnovers, mm-hmm. you know. Got to see what would happen. But I guess I have a question is, if he were to leave the Buccaneers, who do you think he might want to go to? Who would he want to go to? Or who who, who might pick him up, rather? You see, um, I've struggled with that. Because I've got a guess for almost every quarterback in, in this free agency class. And I sit there and I'm like, I can't think of anybody, any team that... Because the teams that need quarterbacks right now, a lot of them are really well-established, good teams who are lacking that missing piece at quarterback. And I'm like, I can't name a team who would take that kind of risk to be like such an unknown. Because he, when he's good, Jameis is really good. There's no denying that. I've watched him play some stellar football games and like throw some bad interceptions and come back from that. Um like, because this guy, like, he doesn't give an F. Like, let's be real. Like, when I watch him sling the ball, he doesn't care if he throws a pick. He's going to go right back out there and sling it again. But really, if I look at a team that I'm like, they might take a chance just to get some success. Uh, maybe the Chargers. I could see the Chargers taking a shot. Um, but really, I don't, I, I think he goes back to the Buccaneers. I think the Buccaneers are going to give him an offer. He might test free agency and realize he's not getting the money he wants and he has more to prove and that that's the offense he can do it in. I could see, I think that is probably the most likely scenario. Another scenario I could see is after the quarterback carousel has sort of ended, he falls to whoever wasn't able yeah. to get who they wanted originally. That's true. They, that's true. He might be able to like sit out the first wave of signings and somebody's left who needs a quarterback and maybe you can get more money doing that. Yeah. You know, maybe I could see Tampa Bay like like putting down the offer sheet and he says, just plays it patiently, says, I'm gonna wait. I'm going to see. And then the first wave goes and somebody goes, oh, crap, man, we need a quarterback. Who's left? That guy threw for 5,000 yards. Get him. Get him right now. <laughs> I can see that. That's a, that's a fair point, actually. That's a, a good interpretation of the events. Um, there's a couple of guys still on this list. Next up, uh, Marcus Mariota. He's, his contract is up with Tennessee. I don't think they're going to want him back. Uh, they, I think they have their guy in Tannehill. And they gave up um, on him. So They, they did. Um, so the question becomes, where does he go and if he goes anywhere, is he going to be a starter? Um, is anyone going to give him that opportunity? Uh, I think there's two teams I personally can see him on um, who might give him a starting job. And if he's going to be a backup, 
Um, I mean, he could really go anywhere at that point. Um, yeah. Every team needs a backup. <clears throat> um, and it might be a team that signs like two quarterbacks, like a Mariota and a Bridgewater, and then sees who can win the job. But um, That's another guy. Yeah. Bridgewater. If I had to take a guess what happens to Mariota, I think he goes, he's going to be a backup somewhere. I think he's viewed as a backup in the NFL. Um, I think he's... He's fallen out of grace, if you will. But if there were teams that were going to give him a starting job, I would put my money on my number two team is the Chargers. I think the Chargers could use a guy who's like, he's more athletic. Um, he, he needs weapons who can kind of make up for his poor accuracy. And he's got Keenan Allen and Hunter Henry there. Oh, sure. And sure. There's, there's a run game there that can take the pressure off of him. You yeah. know, like there's guys like... Um, uh, Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. I don't think Melvin Gordon will be back, but he might if they pay him. And so I think I think he could find some success there. But I think they're going to pay top dollar for one of the bigger names. Sure. Um, I think don't they have a, a decent draft pick? Um, I think they have a decent one, but I don't think I think if anyone goes there out of the draft class in the first round, it'd be Justin Herbert. Yeah, that's, good. that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, or like in the second or third round, Jacob Eason. Mm-hmm. He's pretty good. Um, because Tua and obviously um, Burrow, Burrow, thank you. He's uh, they're not gonna fall. They're gonna be <laughs> not. <fighting. laughs> yeah. Um, so I mean, it, they could get a guy, but I I don't think it'll be Mariota they pick up. I think they're gonna mm-hmm. get a guy in free agency. Um, but it won't be Mariota. I think if there's any place he goes and he's a starter, it's gonna be Chicago, okay. because I think. I think that offense is built for an athletic guy who can make short throws, um, like very New England-esque. Because they clearly, they want guys like Tariq Cohen and, um, uh, I cannot remember the guy's name for some reason. That's how insignificant he was this past year. Montgomery, mm-hmm. David Montgomery. Um, they want the offense to run through that run game and that defense. They want a 49ers-Patriots kind of build. Um, but I think the reason they've held on to um, um, Trubisky. Trubisky, I'm having brain farts everywhere, man. The reason Trubisky, they bought in on him still, I think it's just because he can run. He's athletic. Mariota, I think, is a better version of him. I think he's a better Trubisky. I think he's got a better arm. He's more accurate. He's not this incredible talent. But everything that um, Trubisky does... Mariota does just a little bit better in my opinion. And so I could see him coming in there and at least either forcing Trubisky to be better or taking over that spot when Trubisky sucks balls again. Yeah, well, I was going to say um, he certainly could come in at maybe a backup role. And if Trubisky can't, uh, you know, play up to the standard that they want him to, if he isn't good again, Mariota could totally take his job for sure. How hilarious would it be if Mariota, who starts the year as the Titans quarterback and then gets benched, goes to Chicago as their backup just to put their starting quarterback on the bench. (laughs) Just goes full circle. That's the Mariota story. Um, But yeah, I I could see him on Chicago. Yeah, Um, I can see it for sure. But the reason I'm not I'm not picking Chicago is because I think there's a really really good chance that um Cam Newton is gonna I think I think you're gonna say that yeah Chicago <laughs> I think Chicago makes a a big trade they trade a second third rounder higher draft pick not a first rounder I think 
that the Panthers accept that they're in a full rebuild because they are um, total rebuild. And they say, okay, this guy's getting older. He's worth way too much. Like he's going to get injured. Let's send him to a contender. Let's send him to a guy who wants to win right now because Cam Newton is a better version of Marcus Mariota, who is a better version of Mitchell Trubisky. So why not get the guy at the top of the pyramid? Um, So that's what I think is the detriment to Mariota is if, um, if Cam Newton doesn't go to Chicago, I'm totally convinced it's Mariota there. I don't think they'll go after anybody else. Um, I think they want a guy who's that athletic. Um, so that's the real kicker for me. So um, moving on to let's talk about Philip Rivers because he will not be back with the Chargers. That's already been confirmed. The Chargers are moving on from Philip Rivers, who was just horrendous this year. Um, what do you think happens with Philip Rivers? Mind I mean, you, he, he just moved his family to Florida. Um, and there's been interest from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, apparently. So Okay, well, I mean, that, that would make sense. Uh, he could fill in for a team uh, that needs a stable quarterback for maybe a mm-hmm. season, maybe two seasons before they can kind yeah. of figure out their situation there. Kind of an Alex Smith situation. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. I, I could, could see that. I see, I see really... It going three ways with him. And both of them end up with him on Tampa. Actually, there's a fourth one I could see. So I'll start with the Tampa situations. The first one is, like you said, they let Jameis go. They bring in Phillip Rivers. They draft a guy, right? They draft their Mahomes. They draft their uh, their Garoppolo. And they say, okay, Phillip, you're the starter. We think you can win us some ball games and take us the distance. But if it doesn't work out, please teach this guy behind you before you retire. I could totally see that. Um, the other one is that he plays that role, but he's a backup to Jameis. So they pay him pretty good money. They pay Jameis money, give him the same length of contract and say, we need you to help. We'll pay you good money to be our backup. Teach this guy how to not throw interceptions and suck. <laughs> I guess so. the question there is, would Rivers uh, want to be in that position where he is a mentor as opposed to somebody who's going to get some playing time? I think if he doesn't get, I don't know how many offers he gets. So I think there, I don't, I think he's more likely to retire than that happen. But if he really, really wants to take a shot and that's the best offer he gets, I think he would, depending how bad he wants to play. I actually think the most likely scenario is he retires because no, I don't, old men don't move the Florida to, you know, start a career. They go there to retire, you know, and he moved his whole family there right off the bat before there was even a conversation with Tampa. I don't think that's an accident. I think he's really, really considering retiring, and that's like the most likely scenario. But I don't think it's also, I also don't think it's unlikely that he plays that fill-in role for, say, the Patriots. Um, I think the Patriots are in a really, really weird spot. Um, And I think they're the most likely team to sign somebody off a free agency um, as a starter, you know? Um, other than the, probably the Chargers and the Colts. Those are like the three teams that I think are going to have new quarterbacks starting for them that were signed off of free agency. Um, so I think he could go there and be that fill-in guy. He just replaces Brady. Um, is that as good as Brady? No, but they can definitely pay him a lot less, give him that, get that friendly deal out of him, and he gets to go start for a contender. I think that's a win-win right there. Oh, yeah, um, for sure, for sure. Yeah. So I guess we'll just segue right into uh, the big man himself. The first time he's been on free agency in 20 years. Tom Brady. 
the GOAT, is a free agent for the first time in 20 years. And he could be the starting quarterback for like nine different teams because they all want him, I'm sure. So um, the three teams I'm hearing the most out of other than the Patriots are the Raiders, um, the Colts, and the Chargers. And there's this really bizarre rumor floating around about the 49ers, which I think is ridiculous, but really fun to imagine, you know? Yeah. Um, I'll just start with the 49ers personally, and then you can chip in. Um, stupid. No, it'll never happen. They have Garoppolo. He's young. He's good. <laughs> it's not happening. I, I don't see any scenario that it would make sense for the 49ers to take their younger, you know, uh, Brady-like quarterback. Brady-like quarterback <laughs> who just took his team to the Super Bowl and lost, but took his team to the Super Bowl for somebody who is, I mean, they're, they're like a foot in the grave but, but in the Stephen, football years. But Stefan, Tom Brady likes the 49ers. He's a 49ers <laughs> fan, Stefan. Is he really? He's a diehard 49ers fan. Did you know that? No, I had no, no idea. No, he grew up Bay Area. <laughs> I had right? no idea. That's why it's a rumor. People are like, oh, he could totally go play for like his favorite team. And now everyone's picking on Garoppolo because he lost the Super Bowl. And I'm like, hey, he made it to a Super Bowl and has the highest win percentage of any quarterback since he started starting. It's like ridiculous. Well, I, I, could, I could see the Raiders, for example, mm-hmm. because maybe the Raiders, you know, they don't think Carr is a long-term option. They want some sort of spice oh, to yeah. kick I off their Carr's time not. in... Uh, yeah in uh, Las Vegas and like what, what better than bringing, you know, this, this legend of a quarterback in for, you know, a year or two years just to start off your tenure there. Uh, The chargers also make sense because they will need that placeholder for just a Mm -hmm. little bit. You know, it's LA. They're trying to make their name in the city, which isn't going to happen. That's well, I think, so I actually, I think, those are the two areas I see him going. I don't think he goes back to the Patriots, specifically because I don't think Belichick wants him. I honestly think Belichick's like thinks he's washed, is done with the ego, like is just like wants somebody young in there. Cause I think Belichick's like far from done. I think he looks at his career and he's like, I'm gonna do this quite literally till I die. There's nothing else he wants to do. So I'm sure he's looking to the future. And I don't think he thinks that's Brady. And Robert or reports are out that Robert Kraft has already given him the uh, the decision even though Robert Kraft wants him back he said if you don't want Brady I won't bring him back he's chosen Bill so I don't think Brady goes back and I think Brady's kind of done with Bill um those are two big heads but I think he goes personally to the Chargers I think the Chargers make perfect sense right he's a California boy he um they need a face of the franchise because they want to be in LA they need somebody who's going to put people in that stance who better than the freaking goat you know, yeah. Um, they have the weapons he wants because that's what he wants is weapons. They have Hunter Henry, Austin Eckler, Mike Williams, Keenan Allen. Like, that's a freaking set of weapons, man. That's like top five players at every position. And then they have a great defense. They have a really solid defense. Like everything on their team is perfect for Brady. And they're in California, and they'll pay him the big bucks to be the face. That makes sense to me. The Raiders makes sense as well um because you know vegas is also a celebrity city they're kicking off the brand i don't think Derek carr they see as a face of the franchise um and i think the raiders right now are more worried about being a successful business in las vegas than winning games um i think the biggest issue and why the chargers have more leverage is specifically because of their offensive weapons the raiders have 
Josh Jacobs, they have Darren Waller, but I mean, at receiver, it's like Hunter Renfro and Tyrell Williams. It's like, you got to go pay some money to receivers on top of the quarterback. I don't think so. So I think the Raiders will, I think they'll go for kind of a, honestly, I think they'll draft a guy. I don't think they're really going to sign anyone. I'm sure they'd like a face of the franchise, but I think they draft someone. Um, but yeah. I'm gonna. I would if I were to make a bet in Vegas right now. I'm gonna say Brady is a Charger. I I think that's a that's a great option because I think, like you said, those offensive weapons would be very attractive to him. But one note about Belichick: I think he is very cold cut. He's very corporate. Mm -hmm. I think he wanted Tom Brady out of there probably a couple years ago. Oh, he loved Garoppolo. Yeah, I'm sure he (laughs) he wanted he wanted Jimmy G to be his his guy. You know, yeah. his and I'm sure it probably would have worked too, but um, obviously so, something went went down and his his plan was squashed by Brady and Kraft and. I don't think he. I think he's never forgiven Brady for that. I think he totally blames Brady for not having Garoppolo, and I think I think Bill has been looking for the opportunity to be done with Brady. So here's the thing, though. They trade Garoppolo. Um, they go on to go to one more Super Bowl and win another. So was it worth it? Was it worth it to keep Brady happy and go get another ring out of him in two AFC championships to trade away Garoppolo, who quite possibly, like he was the future there. I mean, he could have been coached by Bilicek as the next Brady for another decade. Um, And I guess that comes down to more of a philosophical question. Is it worth trading a potential future with more rings for one more guaranteed ring? Well, I guess I'd say we will never know. Uh, certainly, it's not the worst risk in the world to get <laughs> another championship out of it like that. Mm-hmm. There's there's teams that, you know, haven't seen championships for ever. decades or ever. ever. There are teams that have never so, been to the Super Bowl. So, I mean... I'm of the opinion that buying a, <laughs> a Super Bowl or getting one Super Bowl is worth every price. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, and you don't you I guess at the time you really wouldn't know if Garoppolo was capable of doing that. Maybe Belichick did, but mm-hmm. we really at the time wouldn't the have known. You don't you don't know. That's what makes it such an interesting question. You know they got another Super Bowl out of it, but you don't know what they get out of Garoppolo. And that's why I'm like, you know what? History has shown it was the right move. You got your Super Bowl ring with Brady. Um, you almost had another against the Eagles. So it's like, at that point, yeah, you traded Garoppolo. Move on with your life with your six-ring Belichick and calm down. <laughs> well, but, I guess also <coughs> Garoppolo was in the Super Bowl this year. So yeah, they... I'm sure that... I'm sure that might was probably the icing on the cake for Belichick, watching that pretty face on the freaking Super Bowl screen and been like, he, that was mine. That was my boy. <laughs> yeah, I... I can imagine he was pissed. So here, here's who I actually, if I were to put a bet down right now, the starting quarterback in New England, and this is obscure, man, but this is the guy who he's not going to free agency, but he's not been talked about by anybody I've heard except Pat McAfee. Um, yeah, I love Pat McAfee. I love and Pat he McAfee. is, he, he brought this up and I was like, this is a brilliant point. Alex Smith. Alex I think. Smith. Alex Smith. So Alex Smith is wanting to play football in 2020, right? Um, and after what happened, I'm sure the Redskins are going to get calls for a trade. And I'm sure after what happened, just the opportunity to play again, Haskins is clearly the future in Washington. 
Um, he had a much better last four or five games of the season, and I think they are going to see what they have. I think Alex Smith goes to the front office and says, hey, guys, please send me to a team where I can play football. And I'm, I'm sure the Redskins are going to look at him and be like, yeah, you've earned it, man. Like, Did that man almost die recently? From his, the leg injury. It was so infected, he almost lost his leg, and he, like, he decided to keep it, which risked his life. Like, that guy's story is nuts. But he can play. He's going to play again, yeah. Wow. He's healthy enough that he's, uh, he's going to be cleared for training camp. That's pretty incredible. His story is incredible. Here's my thing. As I said years ago to my dad, I was like, I was criticizing Tom Brady as a system quarterback, which to some extent I believe still, and to some extent I'm like, yeah, you don't win six rings because you're in the right system. Um, he does have a large role to play in that. But uh, I truly believe this statement. I used to say, Alex Smith, if he were in Tom Brady's place, would be the GOAT right now. Um, and so I, I, and I used to genuinely say that. And then when I heard Alex Smith is making a comeback, I was like, you're talking about New England who needs a quarterback. What is Alex Smith most famous for? He doesn't make mistakes. He's, he's a really conservative quarterback most of the time. But what Bill Belichick loves is he wants to run the ball twice, make it third and three, run a play action, and get the slant to Julian Edelman. That's his bread and butter. He wants a guy who doesn't make a mistake. He's got the high completion percentage, 30 attempts. Like, that's Brady's bread and butter. And so when I look at who is a good fit in the Belichick system, I look at Alex Smith and I say, he's a fit. Like, that guy would... And he is a professional. He's very, like, level-headed. He doesn't... He's never had an issue with a coach or a player that I've ever heard of. I mean, he would let Belichick take the reins and say, all right, I'm going to be the locker room guy. And so when I think of who's the best quarterback, and he's only 35, which I mean, nowadays, that's actually fairly mid-range for a quarterback. Most quarterbacks play until they're 40 now. So that's five more years of that. Like, you give him a two-year play-it-prove-it contract, you trade, what, a fifth, a fourth rounder for him? That's nothing. That's nothing. So I would be absolutely shocked for the Patriots to not make a move on him. I just think looking from the outside in, that's a perfect fit for the Patriots. Well, I think that makes sense because he could definitely play a similar role that he did in Kansas City where he was almost like a placeholder mm -hmm. until they were able to get somebody else in there. You know, and he could give what, him some nice, like, system QB yeah. minutes. and That's what he is that Brady isn't, is Brady was never going to, like, I'm sure he showed Garoppolo some of the ropes, but he was never going to step down. He was always going to try to be the starter. Um, and that's why it became Brady or Garoppolo. I'm sure if they go get another young quarterback and say, all right, we want Alex Smith in here for three years, after two or three years, he'll step aside. He'll say, all right, like, I did it for you guys. Maybe, maybe he's good enough to go get him another ring and he says, I got what I wanted and he steps away. I could absolutely see that and I could see them wanting that because um, he's not going to be a backup anywhere. He's going to ask for that trade and somebody's going to trade for him. Um, whether it's a team that gets rid of their veteran like Cam Newton, he goes and plays in Carolina, whether it's a team that, like, uh, that takes in veterans and makes them great again like the Patriots, he's going to get a chance to play somewhere, I'm sure. Um, and I'm sure the Redskins will grant him that. Well, my question, one thing that seems like it makes sense to me, <laughs> like uh, we're talking about uh, Derek Carr 
uh, leaving the Raiders. Couldn't he be a fit on a team like New England? Um, yeah, I, I hadn't thought of that, actually. That's really interesting. If they're going to get rid of Derek Carr, I would not be shocked to see a team like the Patriots go after him. Like, yeah. it, the same thing. Um, what's interesting about Derek Carr, though, is he's not like he's a dump off guy, right? Like when he feels the pressure, he dumps it off and, you know, he'll, he'll have he would have James White there and he'd have Edelman there. But what's really interesting about Carr is um, if you take the top three PFF, like I think it's PFF, the top three most efficient, deep passing seasons. Um, the number one season belongs to Russell Wilson. He had the most efficient season passing the deep ball in like 2015 that's ever been recorded by the whoever's recording that stat. Um, pretty serious statisticians, right? The next two, number two and number three, are owned by Derek Carr. Yeah. If you well, give him an O lineman, he could throw it deep. And you know that was um, I mean that was Brady through his whole career, right? Dump off, dump off, run, dump off, boom, hit the long ball to Randy Moss. Sure. Well, I'm looking. I'm looking at his stats now. Uh, for 2019, <laughs> uh, he 70% completion, 4,000. 70%. 70.4%, 4,000 yards, 21 touchdowns. I'm not How seeing. How many picks? Let's see. I gotta. For some reason it's not bringing that up, which would be like. Either way, 4,000 yards and 70% completion percentage see. is like. That's very efficient. That's really, really good. Looks like eight. Eight picks. picks to tw- like a three to one touchdown to interception ratio on top of that. Like yeah. that's not bad. He's 28 I mean, years old. That's car to the Patriots would be crazy. That's a great thought. Wow. And I mean, if, if the Raiders were looking to get rid of him, I'm sure I'm sure that the, I wouldn't be surprised to see the Patriots look at him because the Patriots are the team that I could see making a trade for a quarterback. I see a lot of these guys going and trying to pay guys. I think the Patriots are the, they're the kind of organization to make the trade move sure. to say, I, there's this guy here that has been efficient, but he's no longer wanted. Um, Cause that's what the Patriots do. They take guys that aren't wanted anymore and they bring them onto the staff. Well, he's a good quarterback. And you think if you put him into a great system, like a new England Patriots mm-hmm. team coached by Bill Belichick, that he could be successful and he's coachable. He's a very coachable player. Like you talk, I'm always more, interested and impressed in those guys who are they have no big image right like quarterbacks are usually this big old face of the franchise thing and that's what always impressed me about impressed me about Eli Manning for a guy like in the big apple winning super bowls um like face of the franchise you never heard a whole ton out of him you know he was always a very he was a professional and those are the guys you want in those like like a big stellar franchise like the Patriots, you want a professional. You want a guy with a track record of not being too big for them, too big in his mind for that kind of area. Um, that's why Darnold, I think, is the right fit for the Jets, that same kind of professionalism. Um, so there's one final quarterback I wanted to talk about, and then we'll get into the biggest question of the day, clearly. Um, big surprises. Stunning, stunning analysis ahead on that. But... Uh, Teddy Bridgewater. So he's probably the most interesting quarterback to me besides Tom Brady. He's number two on that list because this year for the Saints, I think he showed he's a starting caliber quarterback. I think he's the most 
proven quarterback besides Tom Brady going into free agency where if a team signed him, I think he's really safe, right? You know he can take a good team to wins. Whether he can win games, we don't really know because the Saints were so good when they had him. Like, they didn't, he didn't need to carry them. But he won. Like, he, I don't think he lost the game with them. Like, four or five wins, right? Um, very impressive. So I think he's the most proven commodity. He's young, too. I think he's like 29, maybe 30. Um, I think he's going to get paid. And he's not the future for the Saints. They've already come out and said that's, that's Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill's their guy. So he's not going to be the guy there. Um, I think the place that makes the most sense for him is Indianapolis. That's what I was just thinking. I think. Yeah. So you think they're, they're done with Brissett? <clears throat> I think. I think they don't quite know, but they would rather have a proven commodity because the Colts are a team that are built to win right now. You have T.Y. Hilton. You have Jack Doyle, Paris Campbell. Uh, Marlon Mack, Naheem Hines. Those are solid weapons. They aren't great, but their offensive line is like top five, maybe the best in the NFL. Their defense, led by the perennial stud Darius Leonard, like that's a team that's a Super Bowl contender if Andrew Luck's on there, right? Jo- Jacoby Brissett is the um, is directly countering their ability to win. Like he's just not good enough, you know. They need somebody who's a little more sure, a little more proven. And I think Teddy Bridgewater showed he could come into a team with a solid roster and help them win games. Maybe not carry them, but I don't think they're the the culture a team he needs to carry. I think he just has to not directly counter them, not be the guy who makes mistakes. I think he needs to just be good enough. And that would make the Colts contenders in the, like, not just in their division, but in the whole AFC. So... I think he makes perfect sense. I think he's safe. I think he's proven that he can win on a good team. And I think the Colts are going to look at that and say, I think that's the missing piece. Could that be Brissett? Could he get better once he has a full offseason with the Colts? Yes, but I think that they would rather pay what looks like a much more sure thing. Sure. I mean... I could also see, honestly, the Colts wanting a player like a Tom Brady. Yeah, I could see Brady. Like, they're my number two, no, number three team. I already said the Raiders, I think, would pay him way more and he'd just take the money. Um, But I think the Colts are possible. The reason I don't think Brady goes to the Colts is I don't think he wants to... um, I heard Pat McAfee say this earlier, and I totally agree. There's a statue of Peyton Manning sitting out there. Like, you you don't want to go somewhere where your arch rival is the legacy. Um, as, as much as I'm sure they're friends and whatnot, you know, um, I don't think you want to be the guy to try to lead them to a Super Bowl when, you know, they clearly worship the guy who you spent your whole career as a rival against. Um, I do think that's actually working against him there. Um, and I think the Colts see themselves as they're a young roster. I think they see themselves as contenders for a while if they get that young guy. So I'm really really sure that Bridgewater is going to be a cult next year I'm really comfortable with that guess he's a good player I think he's good I th- like remember like before he had his devastating leg injury you talk about guys with devastating leg injuries that guy's leg like did a full 180 well, didn't it it was practice. almost amputated huh? yeah yeah like probably the second most devastating leg injury other than Alex Smith um in our generation um Joe Theismann not included 
That guy's leg injury was messed up too. Yeah. So did you know, talking about Alex Smith, this is kind of a messed up thing, but it's still crazy. On the anniversary of Joe Theismann's leg injury, yeah. on the same oh, yard yeah. line, on the exact same yard line, dude, that's when Alex Smith got That's hurt. incredible. That's beyond me, dude. Like, that's creepy. <laughs> that's, some, yeah. that's something working. Um, but yeah, that I think Bridgewater is a good quarterback, and he was... They talked about him like he was a potential future MVP when he was in Minnesota. Like, he's got the talent behind him. Um, and I think his success helps Alex Smith because it shows a guy can come back from that and be a successful starter um, if given the opportunity, which helps out Smith a lot. Um, so I guess, like, we've gone through the ringer here. We've been talking, actually, for quite a while now. Um, so we're going to wrap it up with a, a final question here. I'm sure this is near and dear to your heart as a New York Giants fan. Um, is Eli Manning a first ballot Hall of Famer? Why or why not? Well, for me, for me personally, I kind of get both arguments because I think when you look at like the accomplishments and you also look at the statistics, it makes perfect sense why he'd be in company with the first ballot Hall of Famers. And I can also accept the argument that for good portions of his career, he wasn't that great of a quarterback in the scheme of the NFL. I think he's a Hall of Famer no matter what. <coughs> yeah, absolutely. For, uh, first, He'll make it. He'll first make it. ballot, maybe, maybe not. People seem to think... That will happen, but a lot of people don't think it's a va- it's valid. Yeah, Eli Manning's my guy. Oh yeah, I I'm hope sure he, he gets <laughs> he gets first ballot Hall of Fame. But personally, it's it it's not that big of a deal for me. Yeah, I mean, I am an Eli Manning apologist in this department. Like, there's not a lot of guys I will go out on a limb to defend to this extent. I just think it's a stupid argument because. For me, it's not even close. Of course, he's a first ballot, in my opinion, because he is top 10 in every statistical category. He leads the New York Giants in every statistical category. This man started 200 straight games. That's like Brett Favre-level Iron Man. I mean, this guy would have... I think he would have broken the record if he didn't get benched, benched by Shermer. Um, he, McAdoo. Oh, that's right. This is McAdoo. Friggin' dude. That, he got screwed. He got screwed by that. That could do is something else. <laughs> and like, think like people want to talk about his, well, he's 500 on games. You talk about McAdoo, you talk about Shermer, whoever the hell came before them. That guy had the worst situation probably in the NFL for the last decade of his career. Like a terrible situation. One playoff berth, I think, in that span. Um, and despite that, he won two Super Bowl MVPs. I'm pretty sure the only other guys to do that are Joe Montana, Tom Brady, Troy Aikman, Teddy Bridgewater, not Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy, Terry Bradshaw, T's and B's. Um, no, Terry Bradshaw and like, end of list. Sure, and when the, that's the, four, that's four first ballot Hall of Famers. The context know? of those wins is also very important considering... He beat the 16-0 and mm-hmm. New England Patriots. He beat the most dominant team of the decade. And, like, whenever you talk about Hall of Famers, yes, you can talk about stats and wins and how good was their talent. For me, the pinnacle deciding factor, like, okay, Dan Marino's a stats talent guy. Um, Aaron Rodgers, mostly a stats talent guy. He has the one Super Bowl, but it's nothing that we still talk about, you know? 
the reason Eli Manning is, in my opinion, he's going to be more memorable to me than Aaron Rodgers ever was is because of those moments. I truly believe like football isn't just about the numbers because plenty of people get numbered. You don't remember them. It's the moments. Whenever you're under the lights, did you make it count? And that's where Eli Manning, to me, he's, I mean, he's got some of the greatest moments in sports history from the helmet catch to beating the 16-0 Patriots to beating Tom Brady twice. He beat the GOAT twice. I mean, he is, to me, the definition of like a legendary character. Sure. Um, and he did so very modestly too, which I appreciate. Um, but he's got the moments, he's got stats to back it up. He's got the awards. And to me, that alone, like if you, you're talking about hall of fame, how there are pictures of moments you can put next to him that people go, will go for the rest of football history. They'll be like, Oh yeah, I know that. Eli has the prerequisites. Yeah. And I mean, that's all you can really say is the prerequisites to be first ballot. Um, I, that's all that's about all there is to it and and i think i mean like when he was in his prime man like there was um like a stretch i'd say of like i'd say six or seven years where he was arguably top 10 the entire way through was he ever top five top three number one no maybe top five a year or two but if you're top 10 consistently and you have those marks and you play that long like hall of fame to me is not just like who are the best players of all time it's also like, who are the faces of football? Who are the guys that define the sport? And to me, especially through my generation from the time of like 2005 until now, he's one of the guys who defined that generation. Sure. Yeah, well, um, someone who has another sports podcast named Zach Shomler on uh, Strong Opinion Sports, he said something that this is what uh, brought him around to the idea that Eli Manning was first ballot. He said that if you look at the last two decades, you can't tell the story of the NFL without Eli Manning. Ooh, that's such a solid point. That's such a solid point. That's what I'm talking about. He's not just a, like, a good football player. He's like a figure. He's iconic, you know? Can't talk about the Giants without talking about Eli Manning. You can't talk about the 2010s. You can't talk about the Patriots. You can't talk about the GOAT without talking about Eli Manning. That's, that's, you don't really need a lot of numbers to say, ah, that's kind of a Hall of Fame pedigree. If we're going to be talking about you, it says a lot. Yeah. That's like the same argument for me with Marshawn Lynch when people are like, well, he doesn't have the numbers. He doesn't have the same amount of time in the league. I'm like, that guy has more iconic moments just in interviews than like 90% of the players have on the field in their career. And so I'm like, and then you put his on the field work in there. And I'm like, dude, this guy deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, maybe even just as a freaking commentator for those interviews, nonetheless, as a player. And he should have two Super Bowls, too. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> Let's never talk about that on this podcast again. All right. Um, yes, he has one Super Bowl and we're happy about that. Yes. Brilliant. OK. Um, yeah, I think that'll do it for this podcast. Um Thank you to Stefan Smetko, my very good friend, for joining me on this. Of course. This was an excellent time, a good first episode. This has been the Cockfights and Sports Ball podcast. Um, and we will see you all next time to talk more 
football. It's not just it's not a bunch of sports ball. It's just football. So there you go. That's what we got. 